Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. Podcast talking all things Disney with your hosts L. John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome into another edition of Skull Rock Podcast, the show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's playing in theaters, and what's going on in the multiverse of entertainment. I'm Al John Go, musician content creator and lifelong Marvel, Disney, and Star Wars fan. And you can contact me, Al John, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at skullrockpodcast.com al john yes we're back i mean this is holy week the the holy week just ended yes i mean i mean i hope you had a good easter i hope you had a good friday i hope you had a mediocre saturday (laughs) um i i I mean you know there's so many things that went on this past week and it was like it was passover it was ramadan yes it was Ash Wednesday. It was Holy Thursday. It was Good Friday. And as I mentioned, mediocre Saturday and (laughs) Easter Sunday. So uh, there was a lot going on. And, uh, you know, but here we are. We're back again with another great show. We've got story artist uh, Daryl Rooney. He's also a book author. And we're going to get into a little bit of that. Uh, uh, His Harlow uh, Hollywood book uh, is fantastic. So I can't wait for us to get to that yes uh and that's a fascinating uh conversation i think 100 percent. you know i feel like uh ed mcmahon to your johnny carson like yes uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah but you know something i i'm going to take issue with that because i tell everybody you are the wizard behind the curtain you are the genius of the skull rock podcast oh man and i'll and i'm going to continue to say that you know i'm just riding on your coattails my friend oh shoot man i'm I'm along for the ride every week we we have a blast here (laughs) we look forward to it every single week and uh, you know i had a mediocre saturday i'm sure and then uh, at least you see, I say this because we're recording a good Friday, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like we're looking ahead into the future, but, um, you know, we just uh, took the kids out to, to have some fun there at a petting zoo. It's one, one of the middle Tennessee regions, biggest petting zoos, lucky lads. And they got to interact with a bunch of just, you know, all the animals that they love from the farm, cows and goats and, you know, chickens and everything. It was just a lot of fun for the kids. And then, 
you know, this weekend, we're just spending some time with the family. So I hope everyone at least had a, a great weekend. Celebrate however you like to celebrate. And thank you for tuning into the show. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. Hey, by the way, uh, you know, last Thursday I did a Facebook Live oh, yeah. uh, for the Wonderful World of Animation. Yeah. And uh, some of our listeners were on, were on that uh, uh, Facebook Live. Uh, and, uh, you know, let us, well, let me know anyway, uh, last Thursday that they love the podcast. They love awesome. the skull rock podcast. And it's always great when we hear those comments. I love it. it. It's wonderful. And I really dig the fact that our community and people are really starting to get the show. I mean, we've been doing it now for a couple of years and it's just great. We're getting new listenership all the time. Of course, uh, you know, the, the numbers are great on Spotify and all, all the other platforms we have, but it's great that you are out there interacting with the fans and the peeps that are all into the stories, Dave. So, And, and you know, with, with the pandemic and the rearview mirror, we're going to be out there a lot more. There's a lot of stuff coming up. My, my calendar is filling up in the fall and uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to interact with people, uh, you know, with my books and uh, and also, you know, any anytime I'm out with my books, I'm talking about the podcast as well. One hundred percent. Yes. One hundred percent. So, uh, yeah, I have to say uh, it's always great to hear from people. So please, you know, send us those uh, notes on social media, you know, like us on all these podcast platforms. That's right. That's right. Give and, us those five-star uh, reviews. More importantly, do that. Um, yeah, every absolutely. Bit well, before we get into all of that, and thank you for all the great comments there, and we're looking forward to you know maybe tackling some more questions on upcoming shows from our listening audience. But uh, what have you been checking out this week? I know it's been a little bit of a shorter week for us because we're recording earlier than normal, but uh, we're able to check out any content this week. I was, you know, I have to tell you, and I, you threw me off because we didn't have our music come in. Oh, for heaven's sake. What? Oh yes. This is, Wait a second. I'm not, I'm not going to say a word until I get, I, I hear our theme music. Even Al John's picks of the week. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, you know, I have to tell you, Al John, I didn't actually go to the movie theaters uh, this past week. Um, I am going, uh, going to be seeing air, uh, the yes. new Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Chris Tucker, Viola Davis, uh, movie about air Jordan. I am going to go see that, mm -hmm. but instead I did watch a lot of content and, you know, it's kind of curious as I was putting my list together for this show. Um, I watched a lot of Paramount plus, uh, this past week. I'm telling you, reason. I'm telling you, I'm starting to get addicted, Dave. Yeah. So um I I continue to watch Rabbit Hole. Rabbit Hole, yeah. With with, with Kiefer Kiefer Sutherland and yeah. I'm really enjoying that show. Uh, -huh. uh so a thumbs up on that to our listeners if you're interested in trying it. Mm -hmm. Um I have also been watching more episodes of True Lies. Yeah. And you know, it's it, it's good. It's fine. It's uh pedestrian it's more of a it's more pedestrian comedy you know <laughs> okay. but i'm enjoying it i think you know um, it, it, sometimes it takes a little while for a series to find its legs and maybe this is part yeah. of that as they try to establish it, it the world. might be it might be you know it, it's uh it, it it just feels like it, it's very episodic uh gotcha. you know very procedural each week is kind of its standalone mission you know yes. kind of thing yes um it, it's fine uh but I did take your recommendation and I watched several episodes of Picard. Okay. Season one. 
Yeah. Oh, season okay. one. So you're starting. Oh from yeah, the very beginning. because I, I I I'm starting right from the the very first episode. Okay. And and I have to tell you what a quality program this is. It is good quality. Yes. And and it is just really well done. And I'm only three episodes in, but I'm loving it. You good. know, so I'm looking forward to watching more of that. Good. And I have to tell our listeners. You know, even if you haven't really kept up on the Star Trek universe and you, you're not you're not a Trekkie, you're not a big Star Wars uh, or Star Trek fan. I would tell you this so far. And, and you know, Nancy's not really a, a Trekkie and she hasn't watched most of the, the Star Trek movies and things mm-hmm. like that and all the offshoot series that they've had. Right. But I have to tell you, this is a standalone you don't really have to have known about any of the other stuff in the past. They fill you in very well. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, if, if, if you want to take a chance on something and you're not a big Star Trek fan, this is really well done and really, you know, some great cast in here. Uh, and I think it's something that you could sit down and sink into. Uh, so I'm going to give a two thumbs up to Picard. And I know, Al John, you've always given it a two thumbs up because you, you're loving it. Yeah. But I, yeah. I'm a convert. I'm I'm telling oh, you right now after watching a couple episodes. And by the way, it got me right at the first episode. That's great. It was really a good first episode. Well, good. I'm uh, glad. Yeah. I also I watched uh, Animal Control with Hulu. Yeah. Uh, it's on Hulu. It's with uh, uh, Joel uh, McHale. Right. Um, and that's comedy, uh, half hour episodes uh, on Hulu. Uh, really a fun show. I I'm, I really enjoy it. I also checked out School Spirits. Oh, yes. On Paramount. Paramount Plus. Oh. And I, I have to tell you that um, on School Spirits, I, I'll give you the synopsis. Maddie is a teen girl stuck in the afterlife investigating her own mysterious disappearance. (laughs) She goes on a crime-solving journey as she adjusts to school in the afterlife, but the closer she gets to the truth, the more secrets and lies she discovers. Mm. And and I have to tell you, uh, really a terrific cast uh, on School Spirits, and it's, uh, it's sort of a murder whodunit. Uh, kind of thing and uh, I'm not completely through it but I've watched uh, you know probably half the episodes and it's it's a really well done show and I'm really enjoying it well I like the cast for one and Peyton List from um, who plays the lead Uh she is great she's in Cobra Kai and she is just a wonderful actress and I think the cast is really great I'm looking forward to checking out myself yeah, I, I, I really like this show. Uh, and then finally, I also have just been keeping up on Rain Dogs, which is on HBO Max. It's another half-hour show. It's more of a dramedy, uh, and I really like it. It's a good cast. Uh, it's it's done in conjunction with the BBC, uh, and I'm a big fan of BBC programming. Yes. Uh, so that's about all I've been watching, uh, which is quite a bit, I guess, yeah. uh, the, this past week. What about you? Awesome. Well, I'm like you. Uh, I continue to watch Picard, which is great. Um, they did something this week, and I, it's, no not spoiler. it's not a spoiler. It's not a spoiler. It's not a spoiler. Season one. But this, and that's okay. It's okay. But this is the first time 
in over 20, 20, 24 years, almost 22 years that Uh they had reunited the next generation cast. Oh, okay. During the season. And it is wonderful. And it makes me wish so much that J.J. Abrams, when he had a chance to bring the original trilogy Star Wars characters together, that he would have done it. And what a missed opportunity. And so I just, it just further says to me that uh, Picard's doing something right. Um, Mandalorian. So Uh Mandalorian. It's a, it's a great show. And this week there was, I, I don't know if you caught up with the Mandalorian or not, Dave, but I will tell you it is cameo central this week. And for a lot of people, that I, I try to avoid, you know, bringing in other people's opinions. But since we're talking about this, people are like, what is going on? What did I just watch? It's so strange. And I said, well, Star Wars has always been about bringing in names to play in the Star Wars universe, whether it be Woody Harrelson in the solo movie, which, by the way, mm-hmm. he's great, or... um or Natalie Portman, who already had a career before she came in, or Alec Guinness, who had a career before going into Star Wars. So it's not a, for me, bringing in big names to be into the galaxy far, far away is not a big deal. But they did have more than a handful in this episode. And while there were some things that I could understand were maybe controversial about this episode, I still like The Mandalorian a lot. So, okay. so it, it, was this the episode that when did this drop Wednesday this week, Wednesday? Mm-hmm. Oh, it did. Okay. So I am, I did not watch that episode yet. Yeah. I'm that's why I'm, I'm caught not, up to that episode, but I haven't watched that episode. So that's why I'm not spoiling it for you, Dave. Okay. Thank you. Okay. All right. Uh, excellent. Very good. And of course, you know, I continue to watch my procedurals, you know, the law and order is great. Um, you know, so everything is good there. And I'm hoping this week I do get a chance to finally see John Wick. We've been wanting to see John Wick for a while. I'm hoping it's a, over the holiday weekend we can finally see John Wick. Yeah, I know you, you uh, last week's episode, you uh, gave it a great review. So I'm yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and I would just, uh, the only thing I would recommend is get a really good night's sleep before you go see it because <laughs> it is exhausting to watch. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to check that out. So yeah, definitely right. John Wick is is on the table. Um man, what have you been watching? Let us know. Send us those emails and we'll be sure to uh mention it and maybe check it out in a future episode. Skull Rock Podcast. This week in Disney and pop culture. Dave Star Wars Celebration is happening. It's happening in London, in London. right? Yes. In London. They're, they're having the big Star Wars and they're making all these announcements. They're making some huge moves and announcements. Disney CEO Bob Iger. Um, or, I'm, I'm looping ahead of myself, Dave. Hello. Um, but at the, the front and center of it all, we have Daisy Ridley returning. What? What do you ask? What do you say? Uh, yes. Daisy Ridley. Uh, she is coming back into Star Wars with a bunch of new films. Um, and, and, and now a lot. she was in Rogue One, right? No, Daisy Ridley no. played Rey in the sequel trilogy. So you played Rey alongside uh, Oscar Isaac. Oh, alongside, right, 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 right. Yeah, okay, gotcha. So she's, yeah, yeah. so she's there. And um, 
so this is good news. I think for I think Daisy and the rest of the cast get a bad rap because of how poorly you know some of the new films were you know were uh, and were executed. Um, I think that these new films have an opportunity to kind of bring people back, and I hope that I hope so. I hope that you know we can see that there's some studio meddling. I think I can feel the studio meddling that's been happening over at Lucasfilm in regards to the star Wars franchise. Once they started seeing that baby Yoda, AKA Grogu was starting to, to get dollar signs and having all of these new projects literally kicked out uh, right before Bob Iger exited the company and Bob Chapek instituted the, 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 the project group uh, for all the brand content. Yeah. Um, you know, they were literally just kicking it out. So I think the quality has suffered as a result on the Star Wars and Marvel side. And, and of course, the Disney side. I mean, we've seen it on the yeah. Disney side. Sure. So I'm hoping they can write the ship and bring us back to some quality storytelling. Not to say that, yeah. you know, Disney Star Wars has been hit and miss for me for a long time Star Wars fan. But they do have some great new movies planned. And it, I, I think there's an issue, I think, in saying that you've got a lot of these different movies because I just don't know if they'll all come out because these projects have been pushed back. You know, like we had rogue squadron, you know, that was supposed to come out from Patty Jenkins who, who was attached to the film who did uh, wonder woman. And of course she exited the film and rogue squadron. Now we don't know what's going on with that. Right. Yeah. So, um, but it apparently the new, I guess the new series of films will have Daisy Ridley Ray coming back uh, that will be looking um, into the future of Star Wars 15 years after the events of Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. And then James Mangold, uh, who's going to be directing a new biblical biblical epic Star Wars film set 25,000 years before any of the timelines or stories uh, told uh, so far. So this is going to be like the Old Republic. So okay. uh, we've known a little. So this could be that. like an origin story. An origin story, you know what were the yeah. were, what were the uh, Jedi and the Sith like when they had great numbers? You know, mm. basically warring factions, if you will, uh, kind of like warlords. So this is going to be interesting to see. So that's all good, and there was a big drop and a trailer for Ahsoka. Rosario Dawson at the center of the Star Wars galaxy right now. Rosario Dawson, I think she's a great actress. She was great in Marvel, Netflix shows. She was great in her own stuff uh, with Jay and Silent Bob. But here she is, Ahsoka Tano, one of my favorite characters. Now, let me ask you this. She was in a few episodes uh, of the first season of Mandalorian? She came in, I believe, during the... Book of Boba Fett. Oh, it was Boba Fett. That was it. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, and I think okay. she, she may Got have it. been seen, I think, too, in The Mandalorian as well. Um, I, I do believe so. They kind of run uh, concurrently for me, so it's hard for me to separate the two because there's a lot of crossover. Yeah. But uh, this right here has been what we've been wanting. It looks to me like they're putting the pieces in play for the heir to the empire saga that will play out on Disney plus and perhaps as they build the world, they might actually have an heir of the empire uh, film. And if you're not familiar, heir of the empire uh, was a trill was a trilogy of books that kind of jump started the star Wars universe after uh, star Wars return of the Jedi. 
uh, written by Timothy Zahn, who is a prolific Star Wars writer who I've uh, who I've met in person several times, and he's uh-huh. I had my my book signed by him. But it nice. really was the sequel to Star Wars that everybody loved, quintessential okay. reading for Star Wars fans. And it's one of my favorites, and I'm glad they're going this direction with some new twists and turns. This series is going to be helmed by Dave Filoni, who, of course, invented the Star Wars character under George Lucas as he was learning from him for the uh, animated series Star Wars, The Clone Wars, about 10, 15 years ago. Um, Yeah. So a lot of great stuff for Star Wars fans. Just make it good. That's all I say. Make it good. Yep. There you go. Hey, uh, you also saw that they dropped a new trailer for the Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I did see that. Oh you, my uh, gosh, what a great trailer! You know, and you, they've got yeah. they've they've got a Rolling Stone soundtrack to it. That's amazing, right? I mean, this yeah. is literally it's going to pull the the Indiana Jones series closer to some more of the pop culture. I think that a lot of people uh, kind of were like, I don't think we're going to see indiana jones in this era but we are uh you know last time we saw indiana jones he was fighting against nazis and all the like and of course the kingdom of the crystal skull happened uh literally uh what eight years ago something like that and now here we are dial of destiny picks up with indiana jones at the age of 70 uh he's an older wiser and wearier character and he's retiring from his teaching you know his teaching job but yes. not retiring from his adventures no no well i mean this could be once again the last hurrah um this is director james mangold who we mentioned earlier talking about star wars he's coming to do this movie um a lot of great press already for this film a lot of anticipation and i love the fact that john Reese davies uh who you know um who played uh, um uh reprises his role from Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, who played yeah, uh, yeah. Sala, right? I think it's his yeah. name. Uh-huh. Um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, or not Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but uh, Temple of the Forbidden Eye, Disneyland attraction. <laughs> you yeah. know? Great actor. So, I, I mean, honestly, this has the potential of being this year's, uh, uh, you know, massive blockbuster. Yeah. It's it hard. really does. I love Indiana Jones. And I I think it's great to see him. Please don't let me down. Please. He's like one of the best. Well, and, I got to tell you, when you look at this trailer, Al John, yeah. I mean, it, it just looks so good. You sent me a message about it and you were blown away. That's all yeah, I can I, say. We, we can't use the language uh, that I used in my message to you, but it was incredible. <laughs> yeah, you can't. Uh, it's it's great. They just released the official trailer. Seek it out. It's got a million plus hits right now um and uh, to wrap up some disney news you sent me this this basically they're going tit for tat here with with the florida governor ron DeSantos and bob Iger. now um we talked about last week how disney basically did the play of like touche we're gonna do this thing uh and kind of prevent you from kind of doing what you need to do or what you feel like you need to do and so DeSantis is like, hey, I'm basically going to, you know, lawyer, lawyer you guys back and see if what you did was actually legitimate. 
Yeah, they're going to do big investigation. Whatever. I mean, this is this is just absolutely ridiculous. And again, I'll just say it once more. I mean, to see DeSantis uh, talent, and we, you know, we're not going to get into politics here, but to see somebody like Ron DeSantis stand before an audience and claim that the Manhattan district attorney is weaponizing politics against uh, former President Trump. Mm-hmm. It is just so hypocritical of him because he's weaponized politics against the Walt Disney Company in Florida. It's yeah. just craziness, you let's know. Just, and so, yeah, let's just call it for what it is. I mean, I, I mean, I, I have to believe that the Disney attorneys have truly dotted their I's and crossed their T's on uh, what they did, and I think this goes into it goes into the file of being gazumped. You know, and Is that's that a exactly that's exactly what Walt, the Walt Disney Company. I'll use the legal term. They gazumped <laughs> Ron DeSantis. Okay, you so know, I, I just feel, have it. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, once again, if you're gonna go toe to toe with probably the best lawyers in the world, they work yeah. for Disney. So that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, I was uh, gonna say they certainly don't work for the government. Uh, certainly, certainly not. <laughs> certainly not. Well, I'll tell you what's working for me, though, Dave, is the brand new Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse trailer. They released a new trailer. It's longer and even better. And there are a a jillion or a gazumple billion. uh, I don't even know. There's a lot of Spider-Men and women and people in this trailer. Uh, Uh, This, this, again, I I love what they've done with this animated uh, Spider-Man mm-hmm. uh, in the Spider-Verse uh, mm-hmm. and now across the Spider-Verse, which is the second version, so good. Uh, the the sequel to the first one. Uh, and this is the second trailer, which I think was like two and a half, almost three minutes long. Oh, so good. Uh, and it's a fantastic trailer. And I have to tell you, everybody in the animation industry should sit down and watch this movie because these filmmakers are doing it right. Yes. They are combining uh, CG and uh, hand-drawn. Uh, they're doing, you know, graphic design yeah. uh, in animation. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I, I just love what they're doing, the techniques that they're using uh, on this, uh, you know, these two movies. It, it's just visually really appealing, and I am looking forward to seeing this on a big screen. It stands as one of the greatest adaptations in my mind of a comic book in animated Mm -hmm. form. And it does stand by itself as just a great work of art. So kudos to the people and the creatives behind it because they've captured the essence of what Spider-Man is, in my opinion. And I've been a lifelong Spider-Man fan, just like Marvel. And I think it's unique and super cool. This trailer is amazing and it's unique. It doesn't look like every other animated feature out there. So uh, check out Spider-Man, uh, Enter the Spider-Verse, or and then across the Spider-Verse that's coming in theaters soon. And, and by the way, you know, it, if you're listening to this podcast now, then you've probably heard that Mario Brothers, the animated film, yes. had a blowout weekend. I mean, it, 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 as of our recording, they were predicting a $195 million five-day haul uh-huh. for Mario Brothers. Yeah, And I got to tell you, you look at Mario Brothers, and there is a, I, 
I don't want to say a cheap quality, but maybe it, maybe that's the word I should use. There, there, there's this sort of garish uh, primary color, um, you know, almost Saturday morning quality to it. Well, it's a video a, game. I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> right. But but you know, the fact that whatever they spent making that movie and they're going to do that kind of a haul for a five day week opening in comparison to last November's strange world, which, which is a beautiful looking movie, beautiful, a beautiful looking movie, you know? but, you but, know, but made $18 million over, over the Thanksgiving, you know, weekend. Dave, do you realize how long Mario and super Mario and donkey Kong have been in the public consciousness for? It's gotta be 50 years. Close. Yeah, close, close to, to it. fifty years. You know, yeah. uh, this started with Donkey Kong. It's and and Mario being what what an, uh, originated as Jumpman. Um, you know, back in you know the early eighties, if not you know right. late seventies, early eighties, at the yeah. infancy of the video game boom. Yeah, yeah, no, and no, absolutely. I, you know, and so generations upon generations of consoles, and you know, Nintendo built themselves on this mascot of Mario. And Donkey Kong, and here we are celebrating its big jump to the silver screen, and and the first jump, you know, uh, was not so good with John Leguizamo. Uh, I remember seeing that, and Bob Hoskins, I think, was in that. Uh, not so good. That was uh, a live action version. Live action right? movie. Yeah, not yeah, so yeah. good. Uh, I think Dennis Hopper played, uh, you know, uh, the 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 evil uh, the evil character there, uh, yeah. Bowser. But uh, whatever. This one's much better. And I mean, right. this this video game came out. It it was eight bit. Yes. Right. And, and for our listeners, when I say eight bit, it's that that jagged square, <laughs> pixel. large pixels. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So and, um, anyway, uh, yeah. I mean, Donkey Kong. What came out in 1981. So that's yeah. been a long time, gang. So I'm glad you brought no, up the no, box no. office. Yeah, thing. yeah. Um, I just wanted to insert that since we were talking about Spider-Man and animation. So there you go. Okay, oh, you we go. can move on. All move right. Move on to your favorite, your favorite topic. Well, look, man. You know, I'm a big uh, wrestling fan, um, and WWE did the unthinkable this week. Endeavor acquired WWE Endeavor Group and Holdings, by the way, uh, owns the UFC. So yeah. now we have the UFC and the WWE um, coexisting together under the same brand. And now there's going to be big shakeups in the WWE layoffs, management, leadership changes, all kinds yep. of stuff. But, you know, I think a lot of us had seen this happening. The writing was on the wall um, before Vince McMahon had, you know, his controversial stuff that happened uh, over a year ago. Uh, they were making moves to kind of downsize the, the company. Um, we all saw the white writing on the wall as they kind of made the company appear uh, very uh, appealing to investor yeah. groups out there. So this is not a surprise. But the fact that Vince McMahon is back at the helm of some things, uh, in fact, the creative team, as well as being noticed uh, uh, doing the rounds and promoting, is very interesting to me because he had pretty much retired after his scandal broke uh, last year. And now he's back in the spotlight for whatever reason. So, you, you know, I, I'm going to add to this that um, Endeavor only owns 51% of WWE. Oh, that's true. And, and Vince, Vince McMahon apparently is going to own the other 49%. 
Yes. Okay. Yep. So uh, Endeavor is in charge. Endeavor's in Without charge. Without question. That's true. But I did see the interview with uh, Endeavor's CEO. And uh, I think it's Ari Emanuel. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and Vince McMahon. Yeah. And I have to tell you, Vince, Vince McMahon looked like his face was shot up with Botox. And uh, and his mustache and hair were dyed. Oh, yeah. He, he looked weird, man. He looked he very just strange. looked weird. Yeah, he looked, yeah, very he looked strange. really strange. Yeah, his pencil thin mustache. I mean, he literally yeah. looked like the villain that stepped out of like a Dick Tracy. Just yeah, it, he looked cartoonish. He looked cartoonish. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't money. know. You know something? I I I still don't understand why some people feel compelled that they have to dye their hair after getting a little gray. Oh, you know? Oh, it, I, it just because it always looks dyed. So I. It was so funny. I dyed my hair for a long time because I did um, trade shows. And the moment I stopped dyeing my hair, they're like, wow, you got gray real quick. I'm like, I've been gray since I was 12 <laughs> years old, gang. <laughs> That's why I've been dyeing my hair. But um, it's so funny. It, it's so funny because people are like, oh, you know, you've always looked like this. And it's like, no, I really don't. And, and by the way, during the pandemic, you know, because everything was shut down, a lot of women decided I'm not going to dye my hair anymore. Good. And they let themselves go gray. Yeah. And I actually think I think it looks really great on uh, on many of them. You I'm, know? A, I'm a I'm a fan of just, you know, keeping it natural, baby. That's yeah, all I got to say. You don't you need go. to put up a front with me. You know, let's just have yeah. fun. Uh, I tell you what, man, one of the most down earth people in Hollywood happens to be Jeremy Renner. We covered the story of him being run over by a snowplow, trying to help out his neighbors in the time of a, a big snowstorm blizzard. And now in this Diane Sawyer interview, and you know, Diane Sawyer is amazing behind the mic. The story of terror, survival and triumph, the actor revealed how much mental health been uh, he used to reconstruct and reinforce his, uh, his body and his face on this New Year's Day incident. And it is touching, Dave, to say the least. I mean, honestly, I, I, uh, TiVo'd, uh, the, um, the interview, I haven't watched it yet, mm -hmm. uh, but I read a, a, a fairly detailed article, uh, the day after it aired in the Hollywood reporter. And I, I, it was just amazing to hear the details of the accident. I have a clip. I, mean, I have a clip. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Because I am sorry. Renner said he is still triggered by the event and lost sleep over preparing for the interview. Uh, okay. I actually have a segment here. Hold on a second here. Feel hardly any of my teeth on the upper part because that's they went inside my face to put in a, two plates because of orbital crack. During the sit down, that's insane. He had so I, much I, of his body just. I, I mean. You know, he had 14 fractures in eight ribs plus his clavicle. Oh. Uh, his uh, orbital socket was was cracked. And when they, uh, you know, when they were tending to him at the site, mm. uh, his, his, one of his eyes was out of the socket. Yeah. You know, I mean, just the most crazy stuff that you could imagine. And. You know, to see a picture of him sitting for the interview, he looked really good. I mean, he must have had some really incredible people put him back together. 
He really did. And yeah. he told his wife that, you know, be prepared to let me go. And that to me is just Ooh. scary stuff. Yeah, he said, if my existence is going to be on drugs and painkillers, let me go now. Yeah. And the fact I, is he pulled through like a champ that he is. And he's a credit to the human race. I, I think that, uh, you know, he really loves his fellow man, mankind, humankind, if you will. And so there he is being the most un-Hollywood Hollywood star. Um, yeah. And you know something? It's like, I am so glad that, you know, he did that interview because it just shows everybody that he's bouncing back from this horrible, horrible uh, accident. And, uh, and, you know, it, it's just going to be good to see him, you know, back and stuff, you know, uh, I, I can't, I hope, uh, that he's going to be back for, uh, the mayor of Kingstown, mm -hmm. which is a great series. Uh, and also, you know, he's going to do more Hawkeye, yes. uh, I hope. Yes. Uh, and Please. he's got, uh, he's got, uh, uh, renovations, uh, yes. Jeremy renovations mm -hmm. or whatever the show is called. Yeah. Um, On Disney uh, Plus. yeah. And yeah. so, you know, I, I mean, holy mackerel, uh, it, it, it's really amazing. It, it, and you know, by the way, it's hard to believe this happened in back in January. Uh, yeah. and you know, here he is sitting down three, four months later for an interview. So, uh, mm. more power to him. And I'm so glad he's back. Well, isn't that the definition of a true superhero, Dave? Yeah, really. He yeah. is resilient. Uh, speaking of superheroes, let's move over to the DC universe real quick. You know, the blue beetle trailer is actually out. You can check it out. An alien encounter launches a superhero. Very, uh, very much like your typical superhero origin story. And Cobra Kai actor Sholo Marduenya stars in the new feature. And I'm a big fan, once again, of Cobra Kai's, you know, gang. And Sholo's uh, a really great actor, young actor coming up in the world. And I'm looking forward to checking him out. This is going to be part of the brand new uh, DC Universe that James Gunn and Peter Safran um, is getting ready to kind of helm. Of course, this is from the old regime, but it looks like they're going to fold him in. Uh, with this story into the new uh, DC reboot, if you will. So I have to tell you, I, when I saw this pop up, I was like blue beetle. What the heck is that? I had never heard of this. Yeah. He's one of, he's, he's literally like anyway. a fourth tier character, kind of like some of the guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. I just because not, yeah. Never, never heard of the blue beetle. I watched the trailer and, and the trailer did what it was supposed to do. Yeah. Told me what it was all about That's and right. made me want to say, Oh, I want to see that on an IMAX screen. I want to check it out. Yeah. It's slated <laughs> for August 18th gang. So please check it out. Uh, last but not least in our regrets for this week, we have music mogul Seymour Stein. Of Sire Records and co-founder Hussein Madonna, the Ramones, and so many other great artists dies at the age of 80. Dave, this guy is really one of the living legends of the music industry. You know, he really is. And, you know, when you sit there and read his obituary and, and you, you know, see who he signed, I mean, aside from Madonna and the Ramones, the Smiths, the Talking Heads, the Pretenders, the Cure, the Pesh Mode, I mean, the list goes on and on. It, it, it's just amazing. This guy really had an ear, didn't he? He did. And some of my favorite bands are on Sire, Dave. I mean, I'm a huge Depeche Mode fan, the Cure, the Pretenders, Smith, Talking Heads, the Ramones. I'm an alternative rock guy through and through. 
And so I lived on that label. I had so many albums, seen so many of these bands perform. And what can I say? I mean, this guy really was just in a league of his own. And when it came to alternative rock, you know, when he signed somebody, people listened. Uh, Stein was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with a Lifetime Achievement Award back in 2005. And he was the, uh, honored as the first recipient of the Icon Award uh, by Billboard. Uh, he's received so many uh, accolades over the course of his career. And Stein penned his autobiography, Siren Song, which was published uh, published in 2018 by St. Martin's Press. Um, what a legend. Passing away at the age of 80. What a great life. And so many great artists are indebted. And fans like myself are indebted to him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he's leaving behind a huge body of work. Once again, you know, a great legend there. Yeah. Well, that is all for what we want to talk about this week in terms of headline news. Let's move on to our uh, great interview this week. Story artist Daryl Rooney right now on Skull Rock Podcast. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John, once again, we've got a fantastic guest. We've got animation director, story artist, and author Daryl Rooney. Daryl, welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. Uh, thank you. It's good to be here. And as always, our live studio audience is robust and cheering. Oh, please hold the applause till later. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Daryl, it's so great to have you on the show. I uh, I think I ran into you the last time I saw you in person was uh, at the CTN Expo uh, last November. I may have been. No, you know where it was? It where? was the Disney Barn at the Carrollwood Barn. Oh, that's right. It was. It was in December, not November. It was Dece- yeah. early December, and it was at Walt's Barn mm-hmm. uh, over in Griffith Park. Yes. Yeah, so you got a better memory than I do. That was a busy wow. time, I have to say. Um, but it's so great to have you on. And as I ask every one of our guests that comes on, how did you get into animation? Because you're actually a Canadian animator who moved to uh, the U.S. That's right. That's right. Uh, when I was a little kid in freezing cold Canada, my mom had a set of um, 1950s books of knowledge. I remember I would pour through them all the time and look at all the pictures. I never hardly ever read anything. I was only I was visual. And there was one section on Walt Disney. And there were these incredible images from Snow White. And uh, gosh, I don't remember what else at this point. It was the Snow White image that captivated me so much. And I just thought, what is that? And then finally, I saw some Disney films, animated features, fell in love with them. And I went, oh, my gosh, that's what I want to do. How am I going to get to California from here? I don't even know where that is. So as a teenager... I loved film, I loved art, I loved drawing and painting, and I was trying to decide, should I go to film school, should I go to art college, what should I do? I did not want to go to university. And then I found this classical animation course in Oakville, Ontario, which wasn't far from where I lived, and I went, oh my gosh, I could do animation. I could do that Disney thing, I could make my Disney dream come true, I'm doing that. And so I applied, and the person who looked at my portfolio was a gentleman named Bill Matthews. Bill Matthews, yeah. Bill Matthews, he was the first person I met. He looked at my portfolio, and he 
I guess he was so impressed with it, he got up and he started showing it to the other teachers. And he said, look at this kid. This kid can draw. <laughs> that was a good impersonation of Bill Matthews, I have to say. And sadly, Bill passed away last year. Yes, he did. Bill and I yeah. stayed lifelong friends, and I helped take care of him in his last days. So uh, I always called him Uncle Bill. How old was he when he passed? He was 90. He did hit 90. Wow. It's amazing. 90 and a half. He would have hit 91 uh, had he made it to to July. But that COVID got him. Oh, so sad. Yes. Yeah. He was a great guy, though. He was a character. So so Bill was showing your portfolio around to the other instructors. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, You know, and he's like, look at this kid. This kid can draw. Uh, And uh, so I was in. And uh, I went uh, for uh, whatever it was, was it three years or four years? I don't even remember now. Anyway, so in my final year, um, everyone, uh, all these studios in Toronto were uh, coming in looking at people's portfolios. And I kept thinking, oh, I don't want, I don't want to work in Toronto. I, I, I want to work in Los Angeles. I just, I don't know how I'm going to get there. I, you know, I just was a clueless artist. I didn't know how the world worked at all. And lo and behold, a friend of mine who graduated the year before, Harry Rasmussen, uh, came back to Oakville for a visit. And he said that he had just interviewed and gotten a job at a commercial studio called Lisburgers. And they were moving to Los Angeles uh, because they got an animated TV special that they were going to do called Animal Olympics. And they needed desperately needed more animators. I remember that. Uh, didn't Roger Allers work on that? He did. He did. And ultimately, ultimately I became Roger's assistant. Okay. So, uh, so Roger and his family sort of became my American family. Once I moved down here, uh, another one of those longtime uh, friendships, you know, and that's yeah. the great thing about uh, great things about animation is you form these friendships that last your whole life. And you really do. And, and and because it's it's kind of a tight knit community, you actually make friends with people from all over the world. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, I uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, send my portfolio down to Listburgers. And then I thought, wait a second. Could I actually drive down and interview in person? I asked Harry Rasmussen. And he said, eh, I guess you could. So I actually talked Dave Steffen, a friend of mine who was in my class, to drive down to Boston together. And we showed our portfolios on April 21st, 1978. And we were hired on the spot. Wow. And uh, we took a couple of other people's portfolios down with us. They were hired on the spot. And I remember at the time... Uh, Steve would look at a portfolio or look at uh, a reel and then he'd run upstairs because there was a birthday party going on. Then he'd come back down, look at the next one and he ultimately hired all of us. And it was Roger's daughter, Leah's first birthday that he was running upstairs to all the time. Wow. So Wow. And she, she is, she, she is a grown woman now. She is a grown woman. Beautiful. Yeah. Woman, yes. And so, so did you, did you actually start working on animal Olympics uh, in Boston Uh, and and then move out to Los Angeles? 
And ha- and and by the way, back then, it was it fairly easy for a Canadian to to come down into the U.S. and, and start working. It was so easy, I can't even explain it. I'm uh, really. Uh, Lisberger's was great. They were going to sponsor us all for green cards. And uh, that was in Boston. And uh, I guess he, Steve must have said, oh, you guys need to have uh, social security numbers. So go down to wherever and go get them. And we walked in and maybe we had temporary work visas with us. I, I, I don't quite remember, but we must have because I can't imagine they would have issued us social security numbers otherwise. Right. Uh, but we got social security numbers that day. It was so you were, you were good. You were good to go. We we're good to go. I do think that it was prepped in some way so that we had good names representing us. So I, you know, I, I don't want to sound make it sound too magical, but it seemed pretty easy and effortless to me. But but let's face it, back in those days, it was a little bit easier than it is today because Absolutely. of all the issues I mean, you know, going on today. That's, that's true of almost everything. Everything was just yeah. It's uh, computers have not made our lives ease, uh, easier. They've made them more complex. Right. So anyway, so um, I don't remember if we started Animal Olympics in Boston. I don't think we did until we moved to Los Angeles, which was in the summer of 78. And right. I actually, uh, you know, when I was offered the job in April, I said, oh, I, I actually need to go back to college and graduate. Um and then I'll come back in June. Can I do that? And he goes, yeah, yeah, go graduate. Come back in June. That's good. <laughs> so, that's how easy it was. I think Dave Steffen stayed. I can't quite remember. But uh, we did commercials uh, for the next three or four months. And then in the summer, uh, everyone made the big move to Los Angeles, to Venice, California. And did you drive cross country? No, no. I, I, uh, we all drove back home to Canada. Uh, said goodbye to our families, packed up, and then flew to Los Angeles. Wow. September 10th, 1978. Why do I remember that day? I don't know. I just do. Because it changed my life. <laughs> it was a dream come true. And, and and when you moved into Los Angeles in, in 1978, was that it? Like, you were like, I'm in Los Angeles now for good? For good. Yep. And, and did and did you become an, uh, did you become a U.S. citizen? Did you go did through not. all of that? No, you, you know didn't. what happened okay. was Lisberger's was uh, going to get our green cards. And then there was this whole big mess with, they were doing Animal Olympics. The 1980 Olympics got boycotted. And so all the projected revenue didn't come in. The studio was crippled and it basically had to shut down. Steve had to take his dream project, which was Tron, shop it around right. town, and it, it ended up at Disney. So, um, so, uh, our sponsors to get our green cards evaporated and two of, uh, my Canadian friends decided to go back to Canada. Dave Stefan and I both said, you know what, I'm not going to let a piece of paper decide my future. I'm staying here and somehow it's going to work out. Ultimately, Dave got married and I, um, just sort of existed under the radar for a while until uh, the 1980s. Uh, Ronald Reagan started a, um, oh, oh, shoot, what's it called? Um, Amnesty program. Oh, I remember. Yeah. So there was an amnesty. 
yeah, anyone who was living in the United States for X period of time would get a certain visa. Anyone over seven years would automatically be given a green card, which I've, I fell under that category. So uh, that's how I became legalized. So I'm actually right. not a citizen. I am a resident alien. But but you have like a California driver's license and yes, all of those. Yes, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Can, uh, well, I illegal people shouldn't listen to this. You can get all that stuff <laughs> without being uh, a citizen of the United States. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. So okay. So now you're you're in Los Angeles, and that that show va- uh, evaporates uh, because of the political aspects of uh, boycotts well, and all of that. Know, it, but it, it, it did actually get done. Animal Olympics uh, did play on television. It just never had its theatrical release. Which okay. Was, was supposed to happen. It was a winter show and a summer show. The two were going to be combined theatrically, and you know, moolah ends. No, and the money was going to come into Lisburgers. A new dynasty would begin. So that didn't happen. Hmm. So, uh, what ultimately happened to Steve? Steve uh, shopped and uh, his project Tron around town. And Disney picked it up. Tom Wilhite, thank you very much. And, and so he did it. He did it at Disney. Was he involved with it? Oh yeah, he he was the director on it. Okay. And then, uh, and, and did you did you, you obviously went with him and worked on it doing storyboards? No, no. Um, you did work on it though, right? I did work on it, but I went on. I went into it after. Uh, I, uh, they had already. Oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember now. Uh, they were already shooting by the time I rejoined them at, at Disney. So I came in to do special effects animation. Oh, okay. Another another effects animator. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Dave and I did effects animation. Dave and you worked at and you worked at Disney doing that. Yes, yes. Right in in the animation building. Yeah. First floor. And how long were you, how long were you doing that for? Gosh, I want to say like a year and a half. Wow. Seven days a week. It was just crazy hours, but we were in just in heaven, you know, we're yeah. on the Disney. And, and, and financially you got, your, you got yourself established. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And I also got to meet all, you know, all the feature animation people got yeah. to know them personally, uh, so I forged friendships there. So in the future, I already knew all those people. That's awesome. It was a great, and, and, and what happened after Tron? What, what did you go on to after Tron? Uh, I stayed with the special effects unit and I worked on something wicked this way comes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, baby, the secret of the lost legend, which should remain a secret. And <laughs> I have a funny story about that film. Oh, okay. Well, what it should have been and what it became are two very different things, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, I, I, I have told people on this podcast that is probably the only film I ever walked out on. Okay. And, I, and it was a, and it was a free it was a free screening at the studio theater. <laughs> Daryl, I have to apologize because I told Dave that that is a band segment from this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
my gosh. I, I, so, I, so you, you worked on baby, baby, the lost legend, huh? Yes. I think I did some effects storyboarding on it. That was how they had to categorize it. Not live okay. action boarding the parts that the dinosaur is going to be in. Union. Wow. Rules. Okay. So that means and, that you missed my credit at the end of the film, which I might've also, I, I might've walked out. Yeah, I, <laughs> and, and, and what happened after baby, the lost legend? Uh, let's see. I think that there wasn't anything else at Disney and I left. And the next thing that I really remember working on, I, you know, I had met, Oh, Brad Bird had come over to work on Animal Olympics. So I was right. with Brad. Uh, Brad was trying to launch all kinds of projects in the mid-1980s. And he got an amazing the story episode, um, Family Dog. Oh, he he did a uh, uh, sort of a, uh, a promo for the spirit that he wanted to make. And I did the layouts for that. Yeah. Then he got... Uh, he pitched and sold family dog to Steven Spielberg for amazing stories. So, uh, so I went to work on that as it's already storyboarded. So I became head of layout for our really busy two person layout team. Yeah. Me and Jim by wow. <laughs> and that was in downtown Los Angeles around 1984, something like that. Uh, 85, and we were in a, a building, a four-story brick factory building called the Binford Building, and then the Binfords, that became the last names of the family in uh, Family Dog because of the building. Oh, that that is a great little tidbit of information. I had no idea. That's pretty funny. That's where the name comes from, and I guess that building is also the exterior for a TV show. Oh gosh, I I forget the name of it. Um, it's not that girl. It's something like that from the last ten years. Okay, so clearly not that girl. And, and did you go from from uh, from Family Dog? Did you go on to the Brave Little Toaster at that point? Yes, yeah, because I'd also known. Uh, I got to know Jerry Reese and Rebecca through Brad, and. Uh, and somehow I don't I don't even remember how Animal Olympics happened, but uh, you know I just was in the right group of people and during the right time. Yeah, I went right into uh, the Brave Little Toaster and storyboarded on that. And when the boarding was done, then I got to do layouts on it. So you know, it, 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 we we interviewed uh, Jerry Reese several times, and the last time we had him on the show, and I I think that episode is actually going to drop in a couple of weeks, uh-huh. or or may have already dropped, depending on when this show drops. Uh, but anyway, uh, I had uh, I, I asked him to come back on and just talk about Brave Little Toaster because he was scanning a lot of the original storyboards. Yes. And he was posting pictures of uh, of some of them uh, on his Facebook page. So uh, it was kind of fun to get some of the behind the scenes on that. And I'd ask you, what, what do you remember about that uh, show that sort of stands out when you think about Brave Little Toaster? Well, you know, first of all, I want to say that this period of my life was so much fun. I just... I just loved the people I worked with. I loved working. I loved everything about it. I loved the adventure. We were in 
crummy environments, couldn't care less. We were so excited, you know, and I, I think it was, you know, part of the, uh, the, this generation getting their first shot at doing yeah. something. And uh, yeah. just to be part of that was so exciting and so much fun. And um, so with Brave Little Toaster, what I remember was how nurturing an environment it was, how Jerry set the tone of, of support for everything and everyone that I was aware of. If there was crap going on, he kept it away from us at all times. Uh, well, let me, let me ask you this, Daryl. Yeah. I know Jerry. He projects like he's, he's an incredibly nice guy. One of the nicest guys you could meet. But really, tell us the truth. What, what's, the, what's the dark side of Jerry Reese? Mm. <laughs> oh. I don't know that there is one. There is not a dark there side. He's is. one of the nicest guys in the business. <laughs> just, you know, and he just comes from this incredibly creative world. Yes. You know, his father, his children, his wife, he's just yeah. such such a remarkable person. And I think one of the things that really uh, sort of touched me at the time was that, um, you know, I'm just like I'm just some yokel Canadian, but he liked me and he even used my name in the body of the film. At one point, the television says uh, in, during a commercial, Rooney's Bargain Basement Emporium. <laughs> it's just a little, that, you know something, but but there's a there is a tradition in animation, I believe, uh, because a lot of people uh, do insert these little inside jokes. Yes. Uh, you know, whether it's a you know drawing wise, you know, you're hiding your name in something, or uh, you know, you just um, uh, making these fun little inside jokes uh, within these animated the projects. A one thirteen showing up. Yeah, a a one thirteen the uh, the uh, classroom uh, uh, work work area at Cal Arts uh, is I think in almost if I think it's every uh, Pixar film (laughs) it shows up someplace. Yeah, well, I think it's in Family Dog. I can't I can't remember a specific scene for it, but I think we did uh, we did put it in. And, I'm, yeah. and it's in it's in um, Brave Little Toaster. Yeah, I, I I I think it's fantastic. I love those little Easter eggs that are in all these yeah. movies. Yeah, so it was very nice to be complimented in that way. It was very it was very encouraging. Yeah, yeah. Jerry's that's one of his traits. Sure, sure. And and then once Toaster was done, what did you go on to? What did you do? I didn't go overseas to work on it because I didn't do the production, just the pre-production. Right. Let's see. That was the late eighties. Jerry, I I probably did commercials or something. And then you, you did back to Neverland with Jerry, right? Yes. So when Jerry came back from uh, Asia, then um, he did back to Neverland uh, at Bob Rogers and company. And I joined him doing uh, layouts again. Right. And I was so excited. I got to do a uh, uh, panning layout with double perspective in it, you know, just like uh, the old days, the way they used to do it, because it was all done in pencil. Uh, so I, the last shot has a double perspective in it, just like in Ichabod Crane. I was very, I was very pleased with myself with that. <laughs> <laughs> and people now watching go, 
I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, but you know, so there's a lot of people listening who do know. You know. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. So, but uh, uh, now after you did Neverland, did you come back to Disney? Yeah. What happened was Jerry uh, went over to Disney, and they wanted him to do. Beauty and the Beast, fix up Beauty and the Beast. They had a script and they weren't happy with it. Right. And he wanted to do live action. So, you know, now, now I realize I, I need I need to uh, thank Jerry once again because Jerry talked Disney into bringing me in to develop Beauty and the Beast. Now, you you were working on Beauty and the Beast, like the, the original version when the Purdoms were attached to it? Oh, long before the Purdoms. Oh, even before that. Okay. Long, long before. This is 1988, 89. Oh, okay. you know, somewhere in there, I also went to Florida for Disney. When, oh gosh, I don't remember when this was. Must have been after. I went down to Florida for a Roger Rabbit. No. Oh, no. Well, no. was, was it Tommy Trouble or? No, it was, no, it wasn't the Roger Rabbit thing. It was. The oh, this must have happened after I worked on Beauty and the Beast. Um, I went to Florida to be part of the Back to Neverland tour, the Disney Studio Animation tour. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, that was the one that Jerry did with uh, um, Walter Cronkite and Robin Williams. Yes, yes. So I, I was, I did the layouts for that film. And uh, was briefly in the film, pointing to a layout. <laughs> and um, your hand was in it. I know all of me. Oh, was, all of you. Okay, God, fantastic! Wow. And then that became part of the animation studio tour film that would just projected for people that would were tourists and passing through. Right. One of the years later was my aunt who lived up in Canada. Who I hadn't told her about this, so she's at the studio tour watching the film. And then all of a sudden I come on and she goes, that's my nephew. Everyone <laughs> <laughs> so in the theater laughed. She was so that, That's fantastic. <laughs> so prior to that, so I came to Disney that time, which I think is 88, uh, with Jerry Reese's recommendation to uh, develop, fix and develop Beauty and the Beast, which is kind of miraculous because... They didn't know me that way. They took me uh, based on Jerry's recommendation. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And and how long did you work on Beauty and the Beast? Were you on it uh, for like through all the transitions or? Uh, I was probably on it for a year and a half, maybe two years, maybe a year, something like that. Um, I read the script and, and I just immediately knew what the problems were and I knew how to fix it. And so I just started, I started with, uh, with the beauty character. Uh, her name was beauty in the script. And I went, well, that doesn't work. There isn't a character who can say, Hey, beauty, come on over here on screen without it sounding stupid. Right. Right. And I, you know, said that, well, you know, it takes place in France. I grew up in Canada. I understand French. Right. A beautiful in French is Belle. I'm going to call her Belle. Hey, is that how it came about? Her name, Belle. That's how it came about. 
So uh, because you grew up in Canada, you were required to take French, right? You grew up, uh, were you bilingual, uh, English and French? Uh, To a certain degree. Uh, I lived in Ontario, so we didn't speak French. Right. So um, we learned it in school. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So it was a requirement in in school as you went up through the uh, grades. Okay. But, you know, if you went into, if you go into a grocery store in Canada, all the Canadian products have the names in both French and English. Right. Right. So that's just sort of normal to me. Uh, but, uh, my frustration, uh, was that when you go to high school, they stopped teaching you conversational French and just emphasize grammar. So all the conversational stuff just fell by the wayside. Okay. Yeah. And you weren't using it enough. So right. it just, yeah. if you're not using it daily, it kind of slips away from you. Certainly with me, I'm not great with languages. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so Bell was the first. And um, the more I got involved in it, the more I felt like I needed someone to work with me. And uh, I had worked a lot with Rebecca Reese, and we had a really great rapport. And so I asked Jerry if I could bring Rebecca in as my writing partner. And he agreed, the studio agreed. And so we uh, joined forces and started developing all the uh, ancillary characters. So uh, uh, one of the big hallmarks was creating the name Gaston de Gauche. So in the movie, he's only ever called Gaston, but his last name was de Gauche. And, 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 and w- so I was going to say, what, what, what do those names mean? If you were to translate them? Uh, well, for me, it was just sort of the, play on the the word gauche which okay means you know right tasteless vulgar and yeah. I, I thought that that was a perfect name for that character so he looks handsome but he's actually really ugly inside so I that's, ne- I, you know something i never knew his last name uh it's never mentioned in the script and certainly never in the movie but it it's but, but that but he had a last name in development yeah Gaston de Gauche. Mm-hmm. All right. There you have it. Our that listeners awesome. are hearing this for the first time. A well-kept secret. That is, is amazing. Is that a scoop? That is <laughs> I a, think that could be a scoop. We should have some sort of a uh, bumper that screams out scoop. Scoop. <laughs> it's a scoop from Skull Rock Podcast. <laughs> oh, my first Skull Rock so so what happened uh you're working on beauty and the beast tell me uh you know what what uh transpired the when did the perdoms get involved when did you exit the project oh let's see um beauty and the beast became a a really awful experience for me and I've only ever seen the movie once because it was such a distasteful political experience. Um, Rebecca and I developed the project. Don Hahn was the producer, and he's, you know, Don Hahn is, is, is a god. He's just was so incredibly supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, so we spent months and months developing an outline. We'd redo it. We'd pitch it to them. Uh and get notes, go back and develop more and more, and uh, you know, went through this for a series of months until we finally got it to a point where 
uh, Jeffrey and Peter were very happy with it. And they said, okay, well now we just need to bring in a writer. And we went, oh, well, you know, we thought we would write it since, you know, you like what we've done. And they're like, oh, no, you guys are in a different union. You can't write this. We have oh. to get someone in that union, which was kind of them sandbagging us in a way that we couldn't get out of. We wow. We didn't have a comeback for that. Right, so right. It's like, okay, someone else is going to write it. That's fine, even though you love us. Uh, so they brought someone in and um, and ultimately the outline that this person wrote showed up during the Christmas break and I was up in Canada and I had this thing sent to me and it was horrendous. It was just the most, uh, Oh, you know, like Saturday morning cartoon outline. It was just kind of flat, like, just a flat characterless, uh, no, yeah. uh, just awful, just terrible, terrible, terrible. And, um, and I just thought, Oh my God, I hope the studio doesn't blame us for this. So I, um, when I got back, I, you know, I asked Don, what, what should we do? This is terrible. This is not what we have been developing. And he said, well, I don't, I don't really know right now. So I, uh, I went around to a bunch of, uh, good friend animators that were directors and talked to them about it. And they said, well, you should, um, you should write your version of the outline and, and show what the corrections are that need to be done so that if somebody blames you for it, then you can go, Oh no, I've got this. This is what we developed. So uh, I went back to Don Hahn and I, um, I talked to him about that. And he said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So we did. And the day that we finished it, somehow somebody was a snitch and squealed on Rebecca and I, and I, well, I don't know who it was. Uh, Peter Schneider showed up at the Xerox machine when I was Xeroxing this thing. And he uh, just went, oh, hi, Daryl, what's up to? I said, oh, I'm just Xeroxing some stuff. And he goes, oh, that's nice. And walked away. And I thought, hmm, that's not good. Something's <laughs> going on. He knew exactly what we were doing. And he did not like that we were developing a secondary version of the story. And um, so... Ultimately, um, there was a meeting. I'm, I'm going to speed this up. There is ultimately there was a meeting with Jeffrey where it was the idea was that we're going to take the best of both versions of it. Uh, that's not what happened. They really just were keeping this other person's version, and they were just going to kill ours piece by piece by piece. Right. And it was one of the most fascinating uh, experiences I ever had. Where. Uh, I'm in, you know, up on the top floor of the uh, Disney building in this gigantic uh, uh, room and everybody is sitting where they are psychologically opposed to each other without being told to. <laughs> we're neutral, we're in the ends. The people that were uh, adversarial, creatively, opposite each other. And uh, ultimately I realized, oh, they're going to kill ours. And they're just snapping like dogs at us at our heels. 
Yeah. Um, so I don't really want my head cut off. I'll just, I'll just fold. I got it. So I basically folded and, um, and you know, it, the, the tenor was respectful. Uh, we're going to kill this, but we like you, but we're killing this. Okay. And then, and, I, and, and it happens. Yeah. It, it, yeah. You know, and if I felt like, uh, the project was in safer hands, better hands, I would have been more willing, uh, to do uh, to do that, but I, I didn't think that this person had talents, and ultimately they did not. They other people did that person's job for them, uh, and I quit the project at that point, which is probably how I ended up going to Florida. So you went down to Florida, yeah, to work on Neverland. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the and how long were you in Florida for? Something like six months. And did, I, did you ever have any inkling of wanting to stay there or do you just were there no, for the project? Just there for the project. It was yeah. a really fun. <laughs> it was, it was a fun time, but I literally worked every single day. I had one day off the entire time I was there. Wow. It was because, you know, there was an opening coming and everything had to be pulled together. Sure. So I only ever got to go to Disney World once, and the day I went, it just rained nonstop. Now, did you work in the uh, building, or were you in the trailers? I was in the building uh, because I actually directed the the uh, uh, what was his name, Buzzy character, the puppet, and the show that was going on. Um, I don't even remember all the elements anymore. Cranium command. Cranium command. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Buzzy, Buzzy, Buzzy is, has got a life of his own these days since he went <laughs> missing in action a few years ago. Ah, well, that sounds intriguing. Oh yeah. Anyway, so I, I uh, was uh, doing directing or perhaps co-directing on that show at the time. So, you know, there was an opening coming. So it was like, okay, like all Disney films, uh, you're in crisis mode. So we just need you to give 150%. Right. Right. And I was happy to, you know, I, I loved it. It was still just such an exciting time. Yeah. Yeah. And then you came back and what did you come back to? So let's see, I came back and did nine, you go on to Aladdin. Yes. I went, went, I went on to Aladdin and, um, had a great time on Aladdin I, you know, I loved Ron and John. I loved the screenwriters they had for it. I became really good friends with them. Um, and then I, um, I wanted, I decided that I wanted to become an animation director. And, uh, so Peter Schneider said, okay, you can, um, uh, you can, you know, be part of this program. And ultimately, I just felt like I wasn't going anywhere or I was impatient. Right. And so I left and I went to see if I can remember my this time frame. I think, oh, you know what? I think I might have gone to England instead. I went to England to go to animate some Chiquita banana commercials. Okay. So I spent. Uh, Were you in London? I was in London. Yes. I had, uh, who were you working for? Was it Passion Pictures? Passion Pictures. It was Passion with uh, Andrew. Uh, Andrew Ruman. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So, 
Yeah, yeah that, that's a great shop and a great group of people. Yes, it was. And, you know, and, and that introduced me to, you know, some expatriate Canadians who were living in London. Chuck Gamage. And uh, Chuck, uh, Chuck, you know, I was in, in college with him. So I knew. Him yeah, him. that's how that connection actually. And, 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 and Charlie Bonifacio. Yes, yes. And yeah. uh, Andy Knight was there. OK. Uh, uh, so that was a really fun experience. So I did. How that. long were you, how long were you in London for? about four months all I right did, it yeah. was some live action um chiquita banana commercials with a with an animated uh chiquita banana lady right so i was going to animate her and uh the first thing that happened was uh andrew told me oh so um the uh chiquita banana company they need a model sheet for uh the chiquita banana lady i'm like no but they know what she looks like. She's on the banana. And they're like, no, no, no. They need like head turns, some body turns. They need everything. So I'm trying to draw them and they're not accepting anything. And so I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I need to approach it from what is her character? She's nice. She's like, oh, that's right. Because that's what they would do. They'd say, well, you know, she's nice and she's sweet and she's she's kind of sexy, but not too sexy. Right. And had like all this ideas about this fictional character. So that was, I went back to that and I went, okay, who do I know in the movies that sort of encompasses all that, that I can use as a, uh, a, a face example? I will never tell them who it is, but if I find out one that works, that's what I'm sticking with. And I did, and they accepted it. I never, ever told them. And, and do you want to tell us who that was now? Yes, I, know. Yes, I will, because that will be uh, uh, Skull Rock Scoop number two. Here we go. Scoop number two, Al John. I'm ready. (laughs) So I uh, used Judy Garland as the face model for the anime. There you go. Yeah, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, Scoop. Skull Rock Podcast. Scoop. That's right. So I never told them. They accepted immediately. And it it gave me an anchor for how to move that character. so I, I had a lot of freedom once I once I established that as as the ground rule, and uh, it was a, a, a really interesting experience because I had to be there for the photo shoot or the film shoot, and I was the one who had to tell them how slowly to move the camera and pans because I was it was based on her walk. Sure. So I don't remember us. Hey, I don't remember being taught anything like that, Sheridan. I'm just gonna wing it. I'm sure it'll work out. Yeah. And it did. And it did. Yeah. And it did. And the commercials, I was told and guaranteed they were only going to be for Italian television so that she would speak in Italian. And I also thought, you know, we were never taught to animate in another language. I guess it's just phonetics and that's it. So, uh, so I, uh, animated, uh, in Italian of which I only remember the first phrase, il mio ritratto. (laughs) <laughs> so i did these i did a series of commercials uh with Chiquita banana lady and uh when i was done i came back to los angeles and about six months later i had my tv on and i was doing something and all of a sudden this Chiquita banana commercial comes on tv and i hear someone speaking in english i look up and it's my commercial that has been now dubbed into english that's great uh, guys <laughs> that you know like probably 
by the way, before we continue, I, I do want to say I split an office with Chuck Gamage really? in London. Oh my gosh. For uh I uh, uh Andrew Ruman flew me over to work on uh a series of Burger King commercials. There was this whole new campaign for mm-hmm. Burger King, and he asked me if I'd come over to do a fax, and I said Sure. I had just finished, uh, I think the little mermaid and, uh, and I had a little bit of, uh, I, you know, you know how, after you finished a picture at Disney, there was always downtime. So I yeah. took advantage of the downtime and took uh, some extended vacation and I flew to London and I, I was in an office with Chuck working on these Burger King commercials. Mm-hmm. And I think I was over there for like three or four weeks. Yeah. Yeah, great guy, really nice anime. You know, That's I mean, great, a great animator, but a really nice person. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's yeah. one of my favorite people in the world. Yeah. So you came back to Los Angeles. I came back to Los Angeles, and 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 then I, I kind of felt like I was having to start all over. You know, I'd, I'd been out of the loop, so I was like having to get reacquainted with people and start putting my name out there. I ended up working. For Hanna Barbera on Page Master was it Page Master? No, no, it was before Page Master, but it brought me to Page Master. It was something in the forest. Oh, Harry and the Hendersons. No, no, before that, it was a, it was a, you know, a a low budget uh, animated feature, I think. But it, it brought me into that sort of Hanna Barbera Taft animation world. Uh, and uh, I don't remember if Harry and the Hendersons came before. Or, or I, actually, would it would it have been Land Before Time? That's it. Yeah, Land Before That's Time it. 2. Yes. The, it's one the of Great them. Valley Adventure. That's it. 1994. And then after that, you went on to the Goofy movie. Did I work on the Goofy movie? Well, they have you credited here. I'm looking at your IMDb. It's not always yeah. correct. I might have done a little bit of stuff on it. Though I don't, really I know a lot of people worked being, on the. Goofy I remember movie. being there. I just don't remember working. Maybe I just didn't work very hard on it. I don't. That's well. Anyway, I don't quite. I don't remember anything specific about the Goofy movie, but I remember being so impressed with it. Yeah. When uh, when it was happening. It was yeah, good. yeah. It was, uh, it was a it was a fun picture, and a lot of people in the animation community worked on it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people did, you know, it was one of those things where they were freelancing uh, all kinds of bits off yeah. of it because they were up against the wall on it. On the schedule. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe I freelanced on it, which is yeah. really important. Uh, so I worked on, let's see. Land Before Time 2, and then you did Land Before Time uh, 4. Wow. Cats, don't, Cats Don't Cats Dance. Don't Dance. Yeah, so I became good friends with David Kirshner. Right. And, uh, Worked on Cats Don't Dance. And while I was on Cats Don't Dance, um, what was I doing on it? Storyboarding? Storyboarding, yeah. Yeah, you're a story artist. And um, and I remember hearing uh, that year that Madonna had hired Gene Kelly to consult on her girly tour show. And I thought to myself, you can hire Gene Kelly? I didn't know that. Hey, we should hire Gene Kelly 
because cats don't dance. This is about dancing in the thirties and forties. Right. He would be perfect as the, you know, the choreographer consultant. They were going to get Tommy tune. I had David Kirshner's ear at the time. And so I talked to him about Gene Kelly and we got Gene Kelly. Wow. And, you know, if there was one movie star that I wanted to meet in, uh, who was still alive, it was Gene Kelly. And I not only got to work with him, I not only got to meet him, I got to work with him. Yeah, that's awesome. And he was everything that you would have hoped he would be. He was smart. He was funny. He was completely charming and uh, uh, just just a gentleman. It was wonderful. Mm, that's awesome. Man, what an experience that must have been. That was a highlight. And of course, you know, I come in with a poster, an American in Paris poster. Could you know, when the business is done, could could you sign my poster? And he's like, sure. So he signed it to me. And then everyone else is going, Oh, uh, well, here's a scrap of paper. Can you sign this? And it was so <laughs> That's fantastic. Now you you did cats don't dance, and uh and I see you got an uncredited uh storyboard artist uh for Cinderella two. Was it two or three? Well, this one says two, and then from there, it's Curious George, and you were head of storyboards on Curious George. Okay. Well, uh, I I never worked on Cinderella. I um, I sort of turned it down, but really? I in my memory it was Cinderella three. Okay. Maybe I I just felt like the the story construction was just fake. They sure. were making up, making up a, a problem to solve it. Right, it right. Anchored in anything that was true about that franchise. Yeah. What, um, uh, but let, let's skip over it and, and just go to Curious George. Yeah. So Curious George, how did I get Curious George? I, I must have just been looking for work. And I knew June Falkenstein and called her up. And she was directing at the time. Curious George. So I uh, got hired to storyboard on it. And as I was getting ready to the first two weeks, I'm getting ready for my first pitch. And I was like, where's, where's June? What's going on? All of a sudden June doesn't work there anymore. Wow. What happened? Hmm? They got rid of June. Wow. And uh, Matt O'Callaghan came in as the new director. Um, And I already knew Matt. And uh, we really, you know, we hit it off on, on a very creative level. And, you know, the, the project went through, you know, this seismic change. And um, ultimately, uh, Matt made me head of story on it. And uh, I'm trying to remember how this went. So then um, it was this crazy production that didn't have time to actually get made yeah. for its release date. And the only way to do it was to send it off to eight different studios around the world. Yeah. And your fingers that it might all look the same. And they brought in uh, a producer who that was his specialty doing overseas productions. And uh, he saved everyone's butt and uh, the film came out really well. We're all very happy with it. And we had a great time in spite of the absolute craziness of it. Wow. And then, and then from there you went to Sony, uh, hotel Transylvania Somewhere in there. Let's see. Uh, back when I was working on Taft, things got 
sold to Warner Brothers. We went over to a different building and I developed, I was developed, I don't remember what I was working on. It wasn't very interesting to me, but I started developing Calamity Jane as an animated feature. And, um, and there was a Wolves project that was being developed. And I had decided that I'm going to be a director. So I'm developing a project and, uh, and I'm going to pitch it to them. And uh, ultimately I did. And the, uh, the production manager walked in one day and said, so we like the project. We would like the project, but we don't want you. And I went, oh, really? Well, I don't think I want you to have the project if you don't want me. And they said, well, that's the deal. And I said, okay. So he left and I thought, what am I going to do? So I called around and I called Steve Moore and he said, hey, I'm over at TV Animation and they're looking for a director for uh, uh, Lady in the Tramp 2. You should come and interview. I went over that next day, interviewed. I had, we didn't even talk animation. We just uh, I interviewed with Sharon Morrill. We just hit it oh, off. Yeah. We had so much fun. We were just laughing. She hired me on the spot. That's awesome. I went back <laughs> to this other studio, and uh, uh, that same production manager came in, and and, uh, and I said, so um, I've decided that I'm going to leave the studio. Uh, so uh, I guess I should say this is my two weeks notice. And he goes, oh, well, in that case, why don't you just leave today? And I said, I will. Good. I went off and I went off to TV animation and became the director I intended to be. Excellent. So you, you did Lady and the Tramp 2. So I started Lady and the Tramp 2 and, uh, you know, which for me was a dream project because I felt like uh, Lady and the Tramp was one of my all-time favorite Disney films. Uh-huh. And and I, I felt like I could protect the integrity of the first film mm-hmm. by... Because I just knew what what the hallmarks are of, of a good Disney animated feature are, and I I felt like I could uh, somehow steamroll my way through their pipeline and and get what I needed. Uh, they liked what I did enough that they actually asked me to go on to Lion King two and fix it. It was kind of going south, right? And right. so I I went on and I. I was on it for a couple of weeks and felt like, oh, here's what needs to happen to right the ship. And um, and so I would sort of start to pull myself away from it. And then it would sort of kind of veer off again. And they finally just said, do you want to just stay on it? And I said, okay, what, what about laying in the tramp too? And they said, well, wait, this is, this is a much bigger priority. Mm. Stayed on the production and, uh, the thing that I feel like I brought to that film was the idea that um, this sequel was about the shadow side of Simba. Right. The dark side, the unfinished part of his trauma of losing his father. And so I decided with that, one of the visual things that I would do is I would show Pride Rock from the other side because that became a, a, a visual metaphor for his character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I felt like I was in really solid ground in terms of telling a story that was really worthwhile, that was really anchored in the uh, the first movie. 
And I actually went behind the scenes and I talked to Roger Allers and I said, I'm being offered Lion King 2. Um, and I don't want to step on your toes if you feel like that would be unfair to the first film. And he said, uh, no, I think it would be in safer hands with you than with someone else. So mm-hmm. do it with my blessings. So that was good. That was awesome. So, um, you know, so there was a bit of uh, consulting with Roger and uh, maybe some others uh, from the original Lion King to try and keep it in the same family, uh, you know, for a film with a smaller budget. Um, it, uh, you know, it looks pretty good. looks pretty good compared to the first. And then from there, I went back to Lady in the Tramp 2 and um, and then ultimately did Mulan 2. And then I felt like I was the sequel king and I had to stop. <laughs> and, and what did you do then? Let's see. I left Disney TV animation and... Did you go to Sony to do Hotel Transylvania? I, I ultimately did. There's a couple of years there. I think I started storyboarding um, because I couldn't find. Oh, wait, I went back to Universal and I wrote. I did a, um, a screenplay for Curious George 2. And. Um, did that get made? It did get made, but without me. OK. Um, someone else went on to direct it and and, you know, they, of course, you know, had multiple versions of the script. Um, but I ended up with screen credit, though I think I have never seen the finished film, but I do have credit in it somewhere. Um, so then, well, not that these are in order, but eventually I ended up over at Sony. And I remember. And you had a good run. You had, you had a good run at Sony. I right? had for, for a 10 year run at Sony. Yeah. It's so weird because years before I'd gone to, maybe I went over to meet Fergal Riley one day or something. I don't know what it was. And when I got there and it was just such a foreign place to me. And I just had this feeling like, Oh man, you are never going to work here. This is such a weird place. And then I ended up there for 10 years. Wow. So you never know. And you, and you were pretty much associated with all the Transylvania. So you were a Hotel Transylvania, Hotel Transylvania 2. You did Surf's Up to Wave Mania. And then Hotel Transylvania 3, Summer Vacation. And then Monster Pets, uh, a Hotel Transylvania short film. And then Hotel Transylvania 4, Transformania. That's right. I mean, that, so that you really know those properties. I know them very well. I, I might, yeah. I might be the only one who is on all four of them. Really, uh, and it it is a rotation in our home. So congratulations. <laughs> uh, well, I have to say, the fourth one was to me is the best one. Certainly for the working experience, the first one was horrendous. Oh my god, it was treacherous. The second one was was difficult because there was just a, a creative fight between the director and Adam Sandler's group who was producing. Right. Right. The third one, uh, went very smoothly, uh, and was lots of fun. The fourth one, uh, was a different director, uh, uh, a really wonderful board artist who moved up to directing, came back to Sony. Her name is Jen Kluska and Alice Dewey, uh, was the producer. 
Oh yeah, Al- Alice um, is Al- Alice has been on uh, the Skull Rock podcast. Yes, and I knew Alice from from Disney days. Yeah, yeah, and uh, she's terrific. She is terrific, and uh, you know, between Jen and Alice, and I'm sure with Gandhi Tartakovsky's blessings, they brought they had their screenwriters. They brought in three board people, and then they did old school Disney brainstorming to develop the project. Nice. It was, you know, it was just such a breath of fresh air to go back to the way things used to be. Brainstorm, tell jokes, try yeah. and make each other laugh. Uh, you, it's it's a complete improv exercise. The idea yep. is to edit anything that comes out of your mouth. A lot of it is unprintable. Uh, yes. All you're trying to do is gross people out, make them laugh, not censor yourself. And out of that process, these golden nuggets fall out of people's mouths. And the, and, and the project was born. And I remember at one point someone said something. We all went, oh, my gosh, that's the movie. That's the movie. Now we have to now we have to convince the money people that this is the movie. And luckily I didn't have to do the convincing, but they agreed <laughs> and that's the movie that got made. They got, they had a screenplay that was, went six different ways before uh, it finally uh, fell in, into line. But it was such a great old school way of doing it again. Mm. Very, very, Let me ask you something. Speaking of that, do, do you feel like, uh, and this is maybe a little bit of a loaded question, but with all of the animated features coming out from all these different studios, it, it, it feels like it's gotten a bit homogenized. Yeah. Uh, and and do, you, do you feel like there's just too many cooks in the kitchen on a lot of these films? Uh, I'm going to, I'm just going to give my opinion. I don't have any proof. It's just my opinion. Um, I think that a lot of it is uh, being helmed by live action people. So they all are from that world where the script comes first. Got it. You know, we have professional people, writers who are going to write it. And then, then we know it works. And then it goes to, they think it should just go to board people and you just execute the, the uh, script as it's written. And it's going to be funny. You only have to, you should only have to storyboard it once Animation just doesn't really work that way. Right, right. It needs the breath of life. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing that, that Walt Disney invented in the process of his films was he didn't hire writers to write his films. He had story people that developed it and, you know, beat it to death. Yeah. Uh, but in that process, the golden nuggets spill out of your mouth and it comes to life. Yeah. I don't think that that happens enough because I, I I don't think that I don't think the the way the system exists within a production pipeline pre-production pipeline it's not something that makes sense to them they don't know what to call that right right but it was called development yeah reproduction development and it was board artists with the writers with the writers being very enthusiastic about it. Yeah. And all of us just spitballing together. So I, that happened. I think films would be much more, uh, um, uh, exciting, individualistic, specific. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. 
Sure. So I, I want to shift gears for a second because you've written a book, uh, Harlow in Hollywood, The Blonde Bombshell in the Glamour Capital, 1928 to 1937. And and this is this is an outgrowth of something that I did not know about you until literally a few hours ago when I was prepping for this show. Uh, but you have one of the largest collections of uh, Gene Harlow memorabilia. Well, I have, uh, I would say describe that memorabilia mostly as photographs. Um, I, I do also have, um, so no, it's really it's one of the most significant collections, though. Yes, yes, I do have I do have uh, a, a bunch of her contracts. I have a lot of paper things that exist. I have I know other people who collect clothing that she wore, personal items. But, but you have the ephemera. You have all this ephemera associated with Gene uh, yes. Harlow, as well as all of these photos. And I'm imagining a lot of these photos you have are like one offs, right? You, no one else has a copy of them. Uh, it's very possible. Yes. Yeah. And how, how did the, I, I'm just curious because I think a lot of people who listen to this show are collectors. Um, I'm a collector. I collect a lot of Disney related ephemera uh, and, and other, you know, art related ephemera. Yeah. And, and I, I just, you know, I'm curious, how did you fall into that? Well, you know, as a kid, as I said, you know, I loved Disney films and wanted to be part of that. I also loved old Hollywood. Uh, and so the old black and white, the 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 uh, early color, the the golden, what they refer to as the golden age of Hollywood, right? Yes. Yeah, so I grew up with that on television and in movies, and I loved it all. And uh, that's why when I was in high school getting ready to go to secondary or, you know, next level of education was i going to go to film school because i loved film so much in hollywood or would i do something with art and animation was the perfect combination but i always loved old hollywood history the golden age of hollywood um and for me uh as a preteen jean harlow was like the epitome of it because she just was this incredibly radiant perfect looking being and i just sort of felt like I recognized the warmth of her persona or her character. And no matter whatever I read or the bad movies that I saw about her, no, 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 that's not true. I just know who this is. And so in all the years that I was working in animation and loving it, I was collecting pictures and learning more. And I, um, I would buy pictures from this photographer who also started writing books on old Hollywood history. And his name was Mark Vieira. He'd studied with George Harrell, and um, he quickly realized that uh, if he showed me a picture of Gene Harlow somewhere, I would know what the location was. And so he started turning to me and saying, where is this? Oh, this is in her kitchen. In which house? This house. And I just, I just was so interested that I just knew it all. And every once in a while, he'd say, we should do a book about this someday. I don't know. I'm like, well. Uh, I don't know anything about that. Uh, but in 2006, uh, he brought it up again and he said, what we need is a street date, a reason for this book to come out. 
So what's what's coming in the future? And we kicked some things around. I said, well, 2011 is her 100th birthday. And he goes, that's it. That's our street date. Mm-hmm. Okay. We need to spend the next, whatever it is, four or five years making this book happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I went home that day and I spent the next four years compiling everything that I'd ever collected. And I made a Word document out of it, annotated everything. Uh, we wrote the idea of the book into chapters. And I started putting everything into the chapters so that when we got a book deal, it would be there. All the reference was there, mm-hmm. uh, ready to be written. Uh, at that time, you know, publishing was in the dumps. We ended up with a regional publisher in uh, Los Angeles here. Angel City Angel Press. Angel City Press. Yes. And they actually produce some really good books. I, I yeah. like the books that they've produced. And uh, uh, and I'm actually going to make it a point to get a copy of your book. So the next time I actually see you in person, I'm hopeful I'll have it with me. Oh, you know what? You, sh- you need to buy your book from me. Oh, okay. Do it, get it for me because, uh, uh, you know, well, this is just between just between just between just between you, me, and and uh, Al John. Okay, uh, just between yeah. you, me, and Al John. So, also, <laughs> any listeners can also buy from me. That's my little hustle. <laughs> All right. It's well, you know something. I, we'll we'll have to put a link uh, where people yeah, can right. reach out to you. We'll put a link in the show notes. There we go. All yeah. right. So uh, anyway, so. Um, uh, the, the these regional publishers they were fantastic the great thing was the art director was right in town this apparently never happens but i'm i'm spoiled forever we went over to the art director's house and talked about the book talked about mm-hmm. what was important about jean harl she asked what i thought were odd questions what colors did she like what colors didn't she like yeah what she did was she took everything that we said about her and then turned her craft uh, turned it into her craft, and that's how she produced the she, book. She designed design and laid out the book based on Jean Harlow's likes and yeah. dislikes and yes. personality. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, which is beautiful. It was, yeah, it was, it was really wonderful. And I, I always think, oh, isn't that the way it always works? No, it doesn't. So, so we were very fortunate. Uh, so the book came out in 2011, and is now completely sold out as of this last year. And is still popular uh, and popular enough that the publishers actually came back and said, let's do an updated version of it uh, with anything new that may have happened in the last 10 years. And, oh, yes, lots had happened. So we did an updated edition that came out this last fall. Fantastic. Now, did you ever did you ever be able to meet her or was she already gone? She, was uh, by the, she died in 1937. Oh, gosh. Okay. I didn't realize she died that young. She's only 26. Wow. It's very much kind of a Marilyn Monroe star with a story where they were yeah. sex symbol of their generation and they both died young, long. Right, right. Expected and suddenly. Yeah. Um, so uh, what I did part of um, my exploration during those four or five years uh, looking for a publisher was I, I started, first of all, I had a mentor, David Sten, who wrote, uh, um, bombshell, the life and death of Gene Harlow. He wrote it in 1993. Okay. I was in touch with him and somehow he saw a glimmer of talent in me and sort of chose me to start imparting information to. So in that way, I was very lucky and fell into a place that I didn't realize where I was going. 
just as I was being prepped to do a book. Um, I started contacting people that lived in her uh, past homes, met them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I met the person who owned her 1932 Packard, became really good friends with them. Wow. And Does he still I, own it? Does he still own it? Oh, yes. And it will wow. stay in his family forever. It's, wow. it's, a, it's a great story. Um, so then I linked them all together and I sort of created my own Harlow network and we would go to each other's homes and learn stuff. And, uh, and I, you know, I had millions of pictures of what the house looked like in the thirties. So everyone yeah. was interested in it. So it was, that, it was that, that's such a wonderful story. I love when, when uh, you, you know, uh, you have a passion for something and you're able to then share it with the world. And that's yeah. what you've done in your book, Harlow Hollywood. And I will get a copy from you uh, yeah. after, after this podcast where we're, we're going to communicate and I got to figure out how, how we're going to meet up. Uh, but I want you to give me a signed copy of the book. That's a, that's a, a doable thing. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Daryl, I have to tell you, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Skull Rock podcast. I I just I find, uh, you know, when we have guests on that, it's peeling back the layers of the onion, so to speak, and uh, finding out all these fascinating things about people that I've known for a while, but never really knew, you know, like I I was really blown away when I came across this whole thing about Gene Harlow and, and the fact that you had an incredibly important you have an incredibly important collection uh, of uh, Gene Harlow photographs and ephemera that's just just amazing to me well you know it's something that definitely fed my soul I remember when I left Disney uh, the time I left I was I just was really sort of wiped out and I felt like I knew where all the bodies were buried at Disney night it wasn't fun anymore it's time to leave yeah, yeah. And I felt like I needed to do something to feed my soul, which means you do something that's not about money, not about right. earning living. And that was the thing that fell in my lap. And I went, oh, yes. Something that brings it, you joy. It brought me joy. It fed my soul. It, it, it you know, it, it helps define what interests me in the world. Yeah. Someone else controlling the strings. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm actually thrilled that you're do, you're going to be working on an updated version of the book. Uh, I'll get that when it comes out. Oh no, that uh, one did come out. That's the one. You're oh, gonna... the, the updated version you yes. have. Oh, okay. So it's already the updated version. Fantastic. Uh, I'm actually looking forward to that very much uh, and reading about uh, Gene Harlow. Uh, once again, uh, Daryl, thanks so much for being on the Skull Rock podcast. Uh, we look forward to having you back again at some point in the future. Oh, well, that would be great. Uh, I want to thank you for the opportunity. And the thing I most appreciate was I didn't have to do any homework. No, you never have to do homework when you come on the Skull Rock podcast because it's just you, you're sitting there talking about yourself and you're 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 listening to me ask you, uh, you know, some crazy questions once in a while. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Thank you, Daryl. Your attention, please. Now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock podcast. All aboard. Your Main Street to the world of Disney. Once again, just a great, great interview and so many great stories. Uh, I really, I really dug having Daryl on the show.
Yeah, you know, he's he's a really nice guy. I mean, you know, I, I've gone out to lunch with him and, you know, I've gotten to know him. And I got to tell you something. I am so fascinated uh, because he took such an interest in Gene Harlow. You know, we talked about it during the interview, but he has this most amazing collection mm-hmm. uh, that encompasses Gene Harlow's short life. And he's got this book out, Harlow Hollywood. And I, I got to tell you, I have a copy of it. It's a fantastic book. If you're interested in Hollywood history, uh, this is this is one of the early starlets, you know, and uh, and it's a fascinating story. Uh, definitely track it down. Uh, it's such a good book, and it's a beautifully printed book, by the way. It, it's a gorgeous tome. Uh, so kudos to Daryl for putting that all together and getting it published because it really is a it, it's a beautiful book, and it's another you know it's another piece of the uh, of the puzzle you know of the history of uh, of Hollywood. And yeah. uh, I have to say, I I I am I love talking with people like Daryl uh, who are you know really. Uh, interested in a, in a particular topic and really dive, do a deep, deep dive into that topic. And he really did with Harlow. I yeah, have that's to awesome. say, well, I think he's, he's great. And to, to kind of, you know, pick his brain a little bit from other stuff uh, and his personal pursuits, um, you know, as well as all the Disney stuff, you know, visual effects and Tron and all the great Disney sequels that he's did. I mean, so many of the, our listeners grew up on those Disney sequels on their VHS uh, copies, etc. So it's really cool that he's done all that stuff and continues uh, to yeah. do great stuff. So that's awesome. So I love that about him. So uh, once again, thank you everyone for tuning in and staying to the very last Please like and subscribe to our show. Don't forget, we're on all the social media. Dave and I are both personally on LinkedIn, where you can connect with us and message us. Also, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Be sure to check out the show archive as well. Thanks to Spotify. We're on every podcast platform known to man, including iHeartRadio and Apple. So please be sure to leave us those five-star reviews and those emails. Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com or Aljohn at SkullRockPodcast.com. Dave. We are a global podcast. <laughs> We're, everywhere. We're everywhere. No. Everywhere. Hey, uh, listen, uh, you know, I mention every week uh, if you want to read up on uh, some interesting uh, animation and Disney history, you know, I've got about 60 articles up on my website, davidbosser.com. And, you know, Al John, every once in a while, I kind of look at analytics and see who's like, you know, and there's people from all over the world accessing some of my articles, right? Yeah. And I have to tell you that somebody in the Russian Federation in Moscow read my article on uh, the... Uh, <laughs> you're going to laugh when you hear this. Oh, boy. Uh, read, read my article on the Disney film's uh that that deal with precision bombing <laughs> right 
So I don't know. I don't know what that means, but I just thought I'd mention it because I thought it was the craziest thing. It is, you crazy. know, it is. Crazy. Uh, but and, I mean, those were World War Two movies. You know, they were World War Two training films that Disney did. Anyway, it's insane. So you you got that, and then if you're interested in any of my books. You know, go to uh, uh, theoldmillpress.com. Uh, you can get some autographed copies of my books at theoldmillpress.com. Or you can find my books at your favorite bookstore. Uh, support your local independent bookstores, please. Uh, and also at the online book retailers. Before, before uh, we sign that, off, yeah, before yes, we sign yeah, off Dave, quick, quick plug here. Uh, don't yeah. forget to check out Dining at Disney as well. Dave, thanks Absolutely. for hopping on the show. Uh, and check out Dave's archived interview uh, Dave, you want to plug that interview once again so people check it out? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was, uh, I was on Dining at Disney actually a couple of times. Right, right. Dining uh, at Disney. Uh, and, yeah. yeah. And of course, your live stream that happened this past Thursday. Oh, yeah. My live stream last Thursday on Facebook. That's, that's out there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I will just that. say to you all, it, it, at least out here in Los Angeles, is starting to warm up. It's actually starting to feel like, you know, <laughs> California, not like the tundra. Of Canada, yeah, right. no offense to our Canadian neighbors, but uh, I will say, go out and have a fantastic week. Uh, enjoy yourselves. Be kind to one another, and we'll see you back here next Monday, right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List Podcast, as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast. Here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com.